All right. Well, why don't you introduce yourself, guest? Well, I am Robert Reeves. I'm the CTO and one of the co-founders of Datacal. And what we do is bring DevOps to the database. Mm, so this is good. You know, I think, uh, I think what is this, uh, 20? I, I was looking up the 451 Research uh, articles written about you because I wanted to get updated. And I think the last one written was was by me in 2013. So five years later, I finally know how to pronounce the name. I always say data cow, but datacal. That sounds yeah, that ra- sounds better. Exactly. Rhymes with radical. Oh yes. Radical. Hmm. Now radical. I got it. I'm gonna I'll have to remember that. We should have put a pronunciation guide in that report <laughs> that I wrote. I d I don't know I don't know how to do uh declensions and hats over O's and stuff, so I wouldn't be able to do that anyways. But like radical. So speaking of radical, that was a pretty nice sweater you had before we turned the video off. What would you call that type of situation? Oh. Well, it's just, you know, it's just a, a, a you know, wool shawl uh, collared sweater, mm. you know. You ever turn uh, that collar I, up? Nah, not really. I'm, I'm not cool enough for that. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, moving uh, very comfortably into my 40s. So mm-hmm. it's sweaters and slippers. Um, Ooh, slippers. You know, elastic band pants. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, Sansa belt. That's what you should look into. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I actually have a pair of, of old Sansa belt that has uh, has one of those like black, it's not tartan, but you know, it's sort of like graph papery kind of look from long uh-huh. ago. Man, those are nice pants, but I need to lose a little bit of weight. They, they uh, I unfortunately got them uh, altered, I think you would say, when I was at my uh, minimum healthy weight. And now they're, they're a little too, uh, too small. But you All know. Right. Our listeners have a lot of mental images right now from the two of you, so this is great. <laughs> I'll have to go take a picture of those pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, they're good pants, good pants. Well, uh, we, we'll, we, we brought you on to talk about uh, DevOps and data or radical things and things, stuff like that. And also, uh, you all have some interesting uh, things you've, you've done with Concourse and stuff like that, all, all sorts of things relative to uh, listeners' interests. But first, as always, we, we have some news to go over. So... I was just catching up on things, Richard. We have the big uh, Pivotal Container Services GA announcement. I think that still stands for General Availability, if I remember my acronyms. But uh, that, w- that was made GA today, right? What's, what's in there? It was GA today. For those who feel like they keep having a sense of deja vu, this is the real one. So we kind of did the, uh, hey, it's coming back in August at VMworld. And then December, talked about it as part of the Spring One platform. But this is the real one, we promise. Uh, so this is really GA. So you can download today from uh, the Pivotal Network at network.pivotal.io. Uh, and so what's in the box is the current version of Kubernetes managed with VMware NSX for the, the networking components. You've got Harbor, the registry. You've got the multi-cloud for both GCP and VMware to start with. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. We've It's been fun to watch this go through the paces with early customers. And uh it's ready to go. So we're excited to see how people start using it and how our customers start seeing the types of workloads that also belong in an environment like this, which may come up in our chat today as we think of kind of where do data workloads go as you think of continuous delivery and you think of more agile databases. Something like Kubernetes can be a great home for a lot of that. At least that's the uh, the assumption. Mm, indeed. And and then, uh, well, you know, uh, I always like to provide pointers to further homework and to, interle- sure. to interleave our stuff. I'll, I'll, I'll throw in one here. I'm not done reading. I think I might have mentioned this book already, but I'm not done reading it. But you've got uh, Mark Schwartz's A Seat at the Table. Now, you may remember him from uh, his previous book. It was something like The Art of Business Value, which 
all sorts of fun subtitles you could have for that. Sort of like a uh, mystical look at being a CIO. I think I forget I forget the full acronymization, uh, but he used to be the CIO of the. Uh, as they would joke, the immigration service that welcomes people uh, for hmm. for the U.S. government. And now I just notice he's uh, at AWS, you know, traipsing around, telling them about enterprise things. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice book. I, I excerpted a part uh, earlier uh, in Twitter last week about uh, questions managers would ask their, uh, their teams when they're planning things out to avoid the, um, I don't know, big upfront waterfall planning that is very uh, inflexible, but it's definitely worth looking into. It's, it's a nice book. Now, nice. also, uh, another thing that, that GA'd, we have uh, Spring Cloud on Google Cloud Platform. Did, did that, uh, w- w- what's the story with that, Richard? Yeah, they announced the uh, kind of alpha release of some of the Spring Cloud components that work with GCP. So basically, if you're a Spring Boot developer and you want to consume Google Cloud services like Google Cloud SQL, or you've got things like their PubSub messaging bus or Cloud Storage, which is their object storage, any of those things, you can use the Spring Boot starters and the like to immediately make them accessible as you know easy first-class objects in your Spring Boot app. So we saw this happen with Azure. You know, we continue to see ways to make it easier to talk to these different clouds without having to know each individual API. You just get to use these nice typed objects that work in Spring Boot and, and play nicely. So it's really cool to see that get released. I'm sure they'll keep evolving it, but you could use that today. Mm, tasty. Now, also, uh, as another thing, uh, you know, I think it's been a while since we talked about, like, industrial IoT stuff. But yes. there's a, uh, there's a uh, I don't always look at this, but I probably will more now that I've refreshed myself. But also, fellow Austinite, I believe, Stacy Higginbotham, if, if I can be so bold as to try to say her full name, she, she used to be a GigaOM and wrote somewhere else, but now she covers, like, IoT stuff, and she's got a pretty good uh, Roundup newsletter. But she had something that I think was, was fun. I think maybe it was all quoted from vendors, and you know how trustworthy vendors are. Am I right? But, uh, like, it was still a, a good point about if you're trying to start up IoT things and, and you're worried about the ROI or the business case, it's good to, uh, as always, start small with things. And uh, it's a good sort of brief overview that you can find a link to in the uh, the show notes if you go to pivotal.io slash podcast. And, and it's nice to know that just like in the normal software world, uh, if, if you start like a big, gigantic thing, that's probably a terrible idea. I'm not sure why that's nice to know, but you can apply the same uh, tactics of starting out slow and experimenting. Which, which I think is, is a good tip for anyone who's uh, trying to improve their computering. But I think, that's, uh, I think that's all the news we have for this week. So, Guest, nice. why, don't you give us, why don't you give us an overview of, of what it is Radical Datical does? Well, well, sure. I mean, look, at the end of the day, we are releasing software faster and faster. Uh, we, we certainly saw that. Um, and, uh, you know, 2002, right, Agile Manifesto comes out um, and we're going to change the way we build software. And since then, we've gotten better and better at it. And, and I think it's reached a point, you know, certainly with with customers that use PCF, that they're able to focus on the application itself. They don't have to worry about the infrastructure. They don't have to worry about how am I going to get there from here? Um the problem is, is that all of those things that have happened, agile, DevOps, the cloud, uh, containerization, none of that has helped the database 
Um, we are still updating the database the same way we've done for the past 25 years, which is what? We create a ticket, send it to some external data services team. Uh, they manually review and execute the script, and then somebody closes the ticket. Um, that's the problem we try to solve. And at the end of the day, we're just trying to align database changes with your application code changes so that all the benefits you've gotten from platform as a service, containers, the cloud can be applied to the database as well. And, and so what's the deal with that? Why, why, is, uh, why is database world so like uh, isolated from, from change? I mean, to some extent, so isolated from change that a whole other set of databases were created over the past 10 years to sort of like work <laughs> around relational databases. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, I, I always like to think, I always think like on the diagram, uh, the thing that's still a silo is always the database. Like it's always that like cylinder of isolation. And uh, I don't know. I mean, why, why do you think it's been like it hasn't been invaded by all the agile and DevOps hordes of people? How have they so successfully defended themselves? Well, it is uh, they have a huge uh, billy club, uh, the data folks. They can use that. Uh, what they can say is we're not going to change because we put the data at risk. And you tell that to a CEO, a CIO, CSO, um, they're going to listen, uh, maintain the status quo, don't change anything. Um, that's not working anymore. Um, right now, you have got customers that are going so fast with updating their application that it is really killing that external data services team. And they can no longer use that billy club of you put the data at risk. Um, that's why it's been that way for so long. Um, it's also a hard problem. It's not sexy. You can't look at a web browser and say, oh, wow, look at how they updated that database. That was phenomenal. That's right. That's <laughs> right. No, no, it's not, you know, it's not cool. Uh, but when you get a new app uh, updated and say, oh, look what we did here, um, that's exciting. Um, but you got to fix it because, you know, a herd is only as fast as its slowest member. And right now, um, it's that data tier. It is slowing down these large corporations that are trying to put out software like the small startups are doing. So let's let's talk specifics then. So you you all messed around a little bit with concourse and yeah, yeah. And, and things like that. So can you tell me? You know, we'll drill into then some of the more esoteric topics about you know data and teams and legacies mm -hmm. and things like that. But what have you done specifically around concourse, especially for folks who are thinking about how do you drag the data tier into the the twenty first century? Well, let, let me start out by saying that at Datical, we don't come up with anything. All right. So our the way we're what we focus on as a company is the challenges that customers are having. So we were working with a uh, PCF customer that was, uh, you know, updating their applications and they were using concourse. They were using concourse to push those applications out. But what was happening is that they were waiting um, seven to 12 business days is what they, they told us um, to update the database. So, for example, you add a new attribute to an object. Okay. Well, typically you, you got to add a, 
a new column to a table. And they would have to wait seven to 12 days. And, and since they were using Concourse, we looked at the problem and we said, well, hey, we can integrate Datacle with Concourse so that when you go prior to pushing your application out, prior to saying build and release that to dev, test, prod, whatever, let's go ahead and do a forecast of changes and let's review those changes. And then let's go ahead and actually make them. Oh, that was successful. Well, great. Now we know that our application push is going to be successful. And so what we were able to do by integrating Datacle with Concourse is have a single place where you can push the entire application, not just the compiled bits, not just the, the microservices, but also the changes to the database. Because one will not work without the other. So it has to go out together. So so then how, like, uh, you were saying it's like seven to 10 days to make a change? Like, how, what, what's what's the result that they have after that? Well, that's that's the thing that's that's really killing me. I mean, because I hear from customers that are saying, oh, we're waiting three days, seven days, two weeks. Um, some are longer than that. Um, and, and I ask why. And they say, well, we have to get approval. We have to send this mm. out to a DBA to review this stuff. And, and then I asked, well, well, why? You know, doing the, 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 the Toyota five whys, right? Why, why, why? Eventually we get down to the root cause. And it turns out that what they wanted was the world's best computer, the human brain, to review these SQL scripts, these proposed changes for correctness, for adherence to corporate standards, like, you know, table names must start with T underscore, stuff like that. Um, and and then we were looking at it and we were like, well, that's what Datacle does. Datacle has a rules engine that can enforce these standards. And, and whether it's naming conventions or things like, hey, don't add too many indexes to a table, the stuff that DBAs look for all the time, we can automate that. And so there was really no reason to take time away from our DBAs who are focused on scalability, performance, high availability, security. Why have them focused on this tsunami of application changes that are coming? Let's get them focused on the things that they do really well, and let's automate this task. Let's not automate the role. Let's automate the task so that we can decentralize data management and, and push it to the app team so that you know, you build it, you run it. And and do, do these do DBAs respond well to that? Like, how do you? Uh, well, well, let me ask a question and then make a bunch of statements. Like, uh, <laughs> there, there, there's there's like I encounter a similar thing with uh, audit people and like enterprise mm -hmm. architects who um, I don't know. You're sort of like stealing their uh, their point of existence. And so, to some, there's different answers you give to people. Uh, you know. Uh, it's always good to assure people you're not going to fire them because you've just automated mm -hmm. their job. So that's a nice step. Hopefully it's true. Uh, but then, you know, it also, it seems like a lot of the times, uh, like with compliance people, what you sort of get to is the idea of like, you already work too much. So maybe you could work less if you automate this stuff. Cause mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing to have the, uh, you can do higher value activities. I guess a good re response by an employee would be like, then you should pay me more since they're higher value. Uh, but you know, like, how do you win over the the sort of like uh, the hearts, let alone the minds of the DBAs who feel like they, they really like checking if the table begins with T underscore? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I got to tell you, I have never run across a DBA who really likes reviewing sequel scripts. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's, it's just not something that they're excited about. Um, what they do get excited about is things like, hey, how do I move off this Oracle Rack server, this physical server I have that I can touch in my data center, to the cloud? How can I make certain that we... We are providing valid test data to all our teams in a self-service fashion. That that gets them really excited. Um, basically, being uh, uh, in essence a release janitor for these things, cleaning up after the dev team does not get them excited. So there are some folks that uh, certainly a large majority uh, of DBAs will say, "Oh, thank God you're here. Get this off my plate. I'm so sick of those guys and and having an argument." Every single time um, we have a change. And then they get to focus on the things that they really like to do. Um, but there are some folks that that you get into a who moved my cheese kind of moment. Uh, and it is threatening. It is disruptive. Um, one of um, a very large customer of ours, uh, a real big consumer bank, there was a DBA that was not on board with, not on board with Datical. Um, had a real challenge with it and wanted to see it work. And then once it started, they started using it to push to uh, production for changes. His tune changed. All right. He was really pushing back because he knew how scary and fraught with risk it was. But once he saw it working, he was totally on board. And now he's in charge of the enterprise rollout at this bank. So not only did he move away from his job of handling scripts, but now he's in a management role um, tasked with improving the rest of the company by rolling the stuff out. Um, so yes, roles are going to change. Uh, tasks are going to change. And to some folks, that's scary. But uh, we can't put this toothpaste back in the tube. It, it's, it's out. So we need to we need to fix this problem now or else those you're, you're not going to have a company to work at if you don't resolve this. Yeah, no, that's, yeah you, that's, that's a good point of like, you know, no one wants to be the, uh, well, I assume most people don't want to be the release janitor cleaning up the developers throw up, right? Like it's, it's, <laughs> no. it's, it's a much better job to, uh, be a little more constructive rather than just like mopping the floor all the time. Can you imagine putting that on a, uh, a job description, you know, <laughs> po post that to LinkedIn. Hey, can you, can you clean up developers throw up? Well, we've got a job for you. <laughs> exactly. Sign me up. So I, I was interested. I mean, you, you listed a few things there as people kind of get started with this and as, especially as DBAs start to adjust to this new world. What do you see as other things, sometimes things people forget with this, they think, okay, we're going to automate just the release cycle, but are there aspects around, you know, on-demand provisioning of data environments or to your point, even data migration and things? Are there things that when you get excited about automating the data tier that might not be top of mind, but should be? Well, absolutely. Um, I would argue that it is the um, um, expand, migrate, contract model. All right. So a lot of our mutual customers have monolithic applications that they are trying to uh, piece apart into microservices. And um, that model of expand, migrate, contract is exactly what they need for the database. All right. So, for example, let's say you are trying to um, 
you're building a microservice that's going to handle user registration now. Uh, previously, it was in your monolithic application, but the first microservice you're doing or series of microservices is to pull that out. So first you build it. Okay, and then you start updating the monolithic app to call um, those the the new microservice you know driven application. All right, great. And then when that's all done, we take out the old busted code and and we're done. So expand, migrate, contract. We can do the same thing with the database. So for example, now th this is a bad example, but just for you know sake of uh, you know because people are listening, I can't whiteboard this. So let's say you've got. Um, a column with first and last name, all right? And that's bad. We need to separate that into two different columns. So part of that model is we need to um, uh, create two new columns, and then we need to populate the data. But then we've got bits of code that is using the old column and now the two new columns. So we need a trigger that's gonna keep those two, uh, now three columns in sync. You can, with Datacle, enforce um, expansion, migration, and contraction. You could say, all right, this release is where we expand. So we're only going to create new objects. And um, then at some later date, we're going to have a contraction where we're actually dropping things. And so at that point, you can have uh, reporting that says, hey, we're dropping this. This is what's going to happen. Um, and to alert the right people. So if you are able to automate your release process with the database, along with the application, you're able to tackle these problems of how do we uh, go from A to B. Um, we have a real challenge with data, uh, keeping data in sync. Well, let's go ahead and tackle that problem because now we have all this free time. Because we've automated a lot of this drudgery, we can now tackle this other stuff. And, and that's what companies are looking for. They're, they're not looking to say, oh, all right, great, let's go uh, to the cloud and let's double our dev team. No, they want to enable that dev team that they have to move to the cloud. And so it's imperative on companies like Pivotal and Datical to just really take a lot of that heavy lifting off their shoulders. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. What do you do with the legacy data stores? You know, the ones that maybe don't have APIs that make automation simple, that you can't just, you know, programmatically update tables or add store procedures or do, you know, do extra monitoring from the outside in because maybe it's a vendor proprietary interface. So do you start to wall those off and suffocate those to move to platforms that are more friendly or sometimes you can't have that freedom to do that? How do you approach the legacy data store? Well, I think a uh, good question. All right. And I think a good example of that is um, a lot of airlines uh, use platforms like Siebel to keep track of their frequent flyer uh, programs. All right. And they don't actually make queries to the database um, to get information. All right. Which is probably one of the reasons why it takes like a day after you fly to see your your updated, uh, uh, you know, statement to see the miles that you earned. Um, their applications are making calls to Siebel to update that stuff. Um, and they don't actually change the data. Um, they don't actually, rather, they don't actually change the data structure. So for those sorts of things, we, you know, Datacle doesn't work with that stuff. All right. What we work with is custom applications that they've built 
where they do have to update the database. So if it's things like Siebel or Salesforce.com, you know, that kind of stuff, we, we, you know, we have our customers use the APIs to get the data and we focus on, um, managing those database schema changes when you update the application itself. So we Makes really sense. focus on the custom stuff. Got it. So, so one thing that comes up a lot is, uh, you know, especially in, in, in our realm of cloud native awesomeness is how easy it is to release things. And yeah, you know, one of the secrets of that is like, everything's easy if you're stateless, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like all sorts of things are nice. And one, one thing in particular that I think people get excited about is the idea of if we're doing weekly or daily releases or, or whatever it is we're doing, um, it's a good idea to, to basically do sort of like blue-green deploys or incremental deploys or whatever fancy word the kids are using nowadays. But at the data, lever, the data layer, like if I, if I want to like incrementally do a release, right, I want to release to like 5% of the user population and 30% and 100% or whatever, like, you know – I can't like go change the database once. Like I, I almost need to have two databases running or something. But like, I mean, what what are people doing in that area to help out with uh, sort of more incremental releases, or do you just not do that with data? What what are you seeing people do? Oh, you you absolutely have to do that. Uh, you have to support that. Um, you know, one of one of the things that there, there's kind of two layers here. Um, uh, to, to your question, I think one is everything that you've said is true. If you are making direct calls to the database. All right. So if you say this data here, the only way that you can access it and change it, um, is through a microservice, that problem goes away. Um, because then it's, you're only changing the database that that microservice uses. And typically it's going to be a lot smaller it's going to be a single team managing it. So you don't have to worry about uh, changing a table name or something like that or, or, or splitting a table into two. Um, however, if you are on that path from monolithic to microservices, you are going to have to make some pretty significant changes. And they typically come from the, the biggest problem that you're going to have is drops or a rename. Um, another issue is changing data types. And so sometimes that makes sense, but a lot of the time it does cause challenges with your deployment strategy, blue green, um, or you have different zones or, or what have you. And so you can enforce standards uh, with Datacle that just says, we don't drop. As, as part of this automated release process, we're not dropping, we're not renaming, we're not changing data types. Now, if you want to do that, well, then that's the time you need to engage uh, the external data services team. That's the time where you need to work with them and say, okay, guys, how are we going to do this? Will our, you know, maybe we've got three data centers or uh, uh, that we're using Golden Gate to replicate data around. How is this going to impact that? And Yes, you're going to have to engage with that team, but I would argue that it's far better level of engagement than, hey, I added this column, go run this script. Um, there will be times you have to engage those folks, and that's what you know Martin Fowler has always been preaching, that cross-functional team. 
So I would like to see in an ideal world, we bring a lot of those DBAs from operations into the product team. You know, we're not calling them development anymore because they they build it and run it. Let's bring those DBAs in so that they can answer those questions on day one of design as opposed to waiting until our maintenance window for a production push. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You raise up uh, uh, an interesting, uh, well, for me, always interesting question is sort of like, uh, I don't know, what are the what are the design standards that apply here? And uh, like, as you were saying, there's a standard uh, that you might have or policy or whatever fancy word you want to use of, well, if changing a column name breaks things, how about don't do that? Yeah, right? and and uh, and I think I think it's easy to get caught up in in like all the uh, I don't know rapid delivery of stuff where you just like you know a bunch of Keystone cops changing things around. But it okay. does seem like uh, you know to show my age, I always think back to that book Effective Java. Maybe there was one of these in the the .dot net and other worlds. But like Effective mm-hmm. Java was basically a bunch of like rules you would follow in Java to avoid doing dumb stuff, right? Like you know. You should not remove methods once you've made them, things like that. Uh, and so I wonder, like, like, are people collecting what these, like, rules of DevOps databasery are somewhere? Or do these kind of style things exist? Because a lot of them seem obvious, but probably are not until you type them down, as it were. Oh, that, yeah, that's the real um, – that's a real challenge because a lot of these rules – Okay, these concepts are stuck in between uh, a DBA's ears. Um, And and just like, you know, these best practices don't remove a method Um, that is stuck between a developer's ears. Okay, and so what we have to do is tease that out. Uh, And that's what we've done at Datical, uh, that we've got hundreds and hundreds of rules that are standard. Uh, You could certainly write your own. It's based on rules. So it's a very Java-esque uh, looking, uh, uh, wave programming, but, um, you know, we sometimes have to just sit down with a customer and say, look, what are you trying to do here? Can you show me the last three sternly worded emails your DBAs have sent out? Have you, you know, putting this on con put this on confluence or word doc? Have you, uh, written this in stone on some tablets? Perhaps we could look at, and uh, let's let's you know bring these rules into code, and uh, and apply it across the entire enterprise. Mm. Well, they def- they've they've got them written up in their their ITEL run books, right? So you basically just have to copy that. It's no problem. Yeah, sure. Just cut and paste, man. Super easy. <laughs> no problem. So with that said, do you think that I mean the DBA plays a part in? I mean, I'm trying to think of the future role of the DBA. And you kind of touched on this earlier. If they're not going to be release janitors, and they're not going to just do you know low level running scripts and things like that. So you know, walk me through what's the what's the job posting for a modern DBA? Are they helping write some of those policies? Are they building automation? What are those things that I would be hiring for today with a sort of DevOps cloud native data DBA sort of type person? Well, look, I I, I... I love uh, affording people, individuals, the opportunity to grow uh, the career, grow, uh, reach new heights of self-actualization, make more money. Um, And and because that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, The days of being pigeonholed by the technology that you have mastered is over. Um, You're expected to learn more and more as you continue in your career in tech. And we, 
you know, I also look for analogs and, and I see a lot of similarities between what happened to system administrators with the advent of the cloud and puppet and chef to what we're seeing with DBAs right now. Uh, remember, SQL is still the number one language used. All right. It, it, it's it, in all the job postings. SQL is, is number one. OK. Um, and, and, and that is still going to be needed. Uh, uh, certainly people that understand the difference between outer and inner joins, very valuable. But we need our DBAs to stop being uh, uh, focused on this system of record and being an Oracle DBA or a DB2 DBA or MySQL or whatever. And we need them to focus on what data means to the company. And I would argue it is the most important thing. At the end of the day, that system of engagement, the application is supposed to change, but the data should always be there and we're collecting more and more. So as far as job description, I would argue for a solid foundation uh, with databases, um, exposure to NoSQL and big data, but also to be gifted generalists. They should know um, how to write code uh, that's not SQL. They need to be able to automate their jobs because that's where we're going and that should be the expectation. Yeah, that, that's interesting. That's like a, uh, hmm, maybe it's biased from programmers, but a reoccurring theme for every role in this process is like, you, you should know how to program more better, <laughs> which, yes. which I, you know, makes, makes sense. I guess, I guess it is to some extent, uh, part of what being a generalist would be like if you can if you can do some programming you can manipulate a wide range of things rather than just the uh the specialist thing you have well i i i had like two more things i wanted to ask about one of them just occurred to me you know since mm -hmm. i'm i'm always curious about what you know what goes on in the industries and since you just like easily rattled off that the airline industry uses siebel a lot which as as uh as they say in that movie that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. But, <laughs> anyways, like, like when you know, in what is it from Star Wars? It's an older code, right. but it, right. it checks out. That, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but uh, exactly. But uh, like, so in other industries, what you know, what would be your generalization about the databases they use in other industries? Well, banks use a lot of DB two on mm -hmm. ZOS. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, are using uh, uh, everybody's using Oracle. Yeah. Uh, now, one thing that I have seen is a move away from it. I've seen a rise of uh, certainly at um, Fortune 500 financial services, whether it's insurance or banking uh, investments. I've certainly seen um, a uh, appetite to move away from Oracle to either Postgres or MySQL. Mm. Um, and, and I think that's shown in, um, you know, Gartner puts out that annual software marketplace revenue share. And I think a couple years ago, they started putting Amazon on the relational database and semi-structured uh, component um, and, and, or, or, or bucket of revenue. And so we're starting to see people are adopting open source relational databases Um they are adopting them very quickly in the cloud. Um, and they are not adopting semi-structured, so no SQL on big data, as fast as we predicted five years ago. Um, that's one thing that we're certainly seeing. Now, there's a place for it, and it's important. 
Uh, there's a lot of value in those uh, NoSQL document stores. But um, the idea that they are going to totally replace the transactional nature of the relational database, nah. Nah, it, it's not there. So, so you're saying you're saying there's there's a more SQL afoot, not just less SQL, as they used to say. Yeah, look, it's when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So we we put everything in Oracle, we put it all in SQL Server. Um, but now there's certainly a place um, for uh, those document stores, like Cassandra, for uh, fraud detection is phenomenal. So I've seen a big uptick in that usage. Um, but it, it is, um, you know, the idea that there is a zero sum game, that if, uh, one data platform wins, the others lose, that's not happening. In fact, everything is going up. Everything is increasing in usage, including DB2 for Z. No, I mean, that's, that's what we definitely see in the, uh, the perch that we're in is people will use anything that works <laughs> and, and not get, right. uh, not, not, right. not force the hammer to uh, work on everything to use the old metaphor. Well, that's, that goes back to the gifted generalist. You need somebody that is not, um, all they know is Oracle. So they're going to try and use Oracle to solve every problem. We need technologists. Uh, Fortune 500 needs technologists that can look at a business problem and apply the best technology to solve that problem, regardless of what it is. Well, so the, la the last thing I wanted to ask about, I remember a long time ago when uh, I was talking with y'all, we're, we're both in Austin. So, of course, we mm -hmm. run into each other. Uh, I, I forget what you all are based on, but like what, what's the stack of software that y'all use? I mean, what, uh, wh what's it composed of nowadays? Well, we're certainly uh, – we're based uh, on Liquibase. All right, so Liquibase is an open source project for database migration. So that is our core, um, you know, what what we do. Uh, uh, use that to update the database. But then we go a little bit further. Um, so to add uh, certainly the forecast functionality uh, and the rules engine, that's based on Drools. Uh, Datable 4, which is currently released, is based on Eclipse. Um, and we are replatforming to microservices uh, using Docker containers for Datacle 5. And that comes out on the 20th of February. And so what that's going to allow customers to do is, one, you don't have to install Datacle as a desktop app. All right. It is now a long running server process that you integrate uh, or interact with using either a browser or web services. Um, so we have moved uh, over this past year, uh, 2017, from Eclipse um, to uh, Docker containers, and it has been phenomenal. Um, it is just best move we ever made. Back in the day when we started, uh, it made sense uh, for our customers uh, to have Datacle installed on their desktop and their servers. But now as they move to the cloud, they move to virtualized servers um, they're really jumping both feet into this. Uh, it's imperative that we're skating to where the puck is going to be. And for our large customers, that's the cloud. That's microservices. And so that's the stack that we're based on now. So, so does that mean like if you're moving from Eclipse, like you move from like OSGI Eclipsey bundle things to container services that you wrap a UI around? Or like what, is that, what does that mean? Cause, cause well, there's – because, I mean, you're essentially you're essentially a 
a tool with sort of like a, I don't know, headless running process that can hook into your your uh, your pipeline, right, to do all this enforcement mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to think about like how microservices applies to a non-production thing, if 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 that makes sense. Well, it was certainly a challenge. Um, you know, there is uh, workflow enforcement in the Eclipse UI, and there's certainly using those OSGI bundles, how we put the software together. Um, but it turns out that we were able to take those bundles and wrap them instead of in the Eclipse UI in microservices. Um, mm, right. You know, uh, use a lot of Spring, of course. And so, um, you know, that's it was actually, it made a lot more sense than we thought it would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's like Fowler, you know, he's certainly talked about microservices, that there is value in creating a monolithic app first, because at least you get your domain model down. Right. Uh, and that's what we were able to do with the Eclipse stuff. Uh, but now a new day has dawned. Um, and it's time for, if we're going to take advantage of scalability with the cloud, uh, this is a direction we had to go in and, and we have. Yeah. Now that's interesting because I guess in theory you could scale up from a laptop, just running all this stuff to, uh, basically doing like, uh, I'm going to embarrass myself, but you could horizontalize like running everything to get more, uh, more horsepower behind it when you're doing all your analysis and stuff by sticking it up, not only on, on a server, but into a, a whole cluster of servers or, or a mm-hmm. cloud, as, as people would want to call it, and uh, centralize that a lot more. Hmm. So that's that's interesting. Well, we certainly could have done that, but um, the time was right. I mean, look, companies want to purchase um, solutions that mirror the direction that they're going. Um, and, and if we're pushing, you know, five-year-old technology, it just doesn't make sense to them. And so we also wanted to personally, you know, if we're going to help our customers move to the cloud, move to microservices, cloud native applications, if we're going to solve this persistence problem for them, uh, we need to do it in a way that uh, they themselves um, want to do it. Yeah. And, and then I guess, I guess to cite the obvious thing, well, do, do, do y'all run it as a service or is it like, you run it, a user runs it on its own. Cause once, once you can containerize it and stick it in a cloud somewhere, you could potentially run it for someone. Well, absolutely. And that's the direction that we're going. Uh, first, what we want to do is we want this installed inside, uh, our, our company's data centers. Now they're virtualized. A lot of our large customers have not moved to the cloud. They're certainly going there, but today they're not. So what we wanted to do was put this behind the firewall and we wanted to make certain that they were satisfied with it. Once you've made these, you know, Fortune 25 companies happy, it's then very easy to release this as a service. Um, One of our challenges is going to be uh, releasing it to every single cloud that our customers want to go to. Mm. and, and so that's, you know, one one of the things that we're working on this year. How do we make a change to a microservice and then hit a button and then it goes out to all the different um, uh, locations that we have it installed and also using a shared data store? Um, I hear that there's some companies out there that are really good at managing that. Do you, do you guys know of any? That's right. I'll have to go check my notes. <laughs> exactly. You know some people. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, that, yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's always fun to see the, uh, I don't know, across, let's see, what year is this? 2018? Across the last 10 years or so, the, uh, the two steps forward, one step back move of getting like IDEs somehow running in the cloud. And there's been a lot of two steps forward and everything, but everything gets mm-hmm. closer and closer to that. So we'll see how, how all that, that pans out. Maybe one day we'll all be running on, well, I'm not a developer anymore, but developers will all be running on Chromebooks and uh, we'll say, what happened to the sun rays? It'll be very sad. Uh, <laughs> I remember those. Those were sexy. Yeah, those yeah. So I, I, I still have an old one that they uh, that they gave me up on the shelf behind me that I, I don't know why I keep it. Maybe maybe one day my kids will inherit it and they'll be, what is this piece of crap? But uh, stick it on whatever eBay, eBay of the space future. Anyhow, mm-hmm. Well, on that note, as we as we contemplate the space future, thanks for being on. It was it was fun to talk about. It's always good to go over uh, data stuff. If people want to uh, follow up with you, maybe follow you around the internet in a non creepy way, like what what would you point them at? Well, certainly there's the the Datical Twitter account, mm-hmm. uh, D A T I C A L. Uh, there's certainly at Robert Reeves, which is my uh, Twitter handle. If uh, Pivotal customers want to learn more about Datical for Concourse, they can go to um, uh, our website, datical.com slash partners slash Pivotal, or you can just put Datical Pivotal in Google and it'll be the first link. Yeah, no doubt. A pretty unique combination of words there, probably, unless there's something I don't know <laughs> yes. about. That's right. Well, uh, as always, thanks for listening. This has been another exciting episode of Pivotal Conversations. If you want to easily peruse the back catalog and find the RSS feed to subscribe to and all of that kind of stuff, see some highlights of uh, other episodes we've had and uh, end users we've talked to and other partners, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. I think, uh, as you may recall, if you haven't listened to last week's, uh, relevant to us having PKS released this week, we talked with uh, our buddy Paul here uh, on the same team I am about Kubernetes and what it is and why you might be interested in. So check that episode out if you haven't seen it. And every Thursday we post the full show notes, which will have links to the things we talked about and and other related stuff over at pivotal.io slash podcast. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.